Genesis 46. This is the word of the Lord. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Sheol, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paran Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Eri, Aradai, and Arali. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bariah, with Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkail. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hubim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Heshim, the sons of Natalie, Jazil, Gunai, Jezer, and Shilem. These are the sons of Bilhah, when Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. 
all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have, been, they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is the word of God, and we give thanks to God for it. Father, as we come to your word, we come with expectation that we will hear Christ. That is who we need to hear this evening. And so, Father, we pray to that end. In his name, amen. I wonder what you do when you've got a big decision to make. Okay, you've got a big decision looming. looming. What do you do? I'm not talking about which cereal to have. I'm thinking about uh, 10 o'clock tea and which bun you might choose. Big decisions. When you're looking for direction, where do you go? Where do you go? When things in life seem to get a bit hectic, maybe what is normal gets turned on its head, where do you go? What do you do? Well, Jacob had just heard the news that his son, whom he thought was dead, was actually alive. And that was turning things on its head, wasn't it? And the news in itself was almost enough to kill the man. It seemed too good to be true. Too good to be true. And yet, it was true indeed. It was incredibly good news. So much so that we can almost forget the bad news. The bad news that is really behind what's happening in this story. Because the bad news is that there is no food in Canaan. No food in Canaan. The famine was severe. Actually, at this stage, we're only two years into the famine. And so we know that from Pharaoh's dreams that there was going to be seven and seven, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so we're still another five years to come. And so Jacob, Israel, sets out on this journey to Egypt after the invitation from his son, Joseph. And yet there is a sense in which Jacob does not seem to want to, to, to fall into the same mistake as that of his fathers. Remember that Joseph's link here to, to Egypt is not the first time that Egypt has come up in the Genesis story. Now think back to Genesis 12, and there we see another famine in the land of Canaan, and this time it was Abraham who was quick to head to Egypt for shelter. And it seems that he was driven not by faith, but rather by fear. 
And to top it all off, well, what happened in, in Egypt? Abraham passes off his wife as his sister. We said that's never a, a good call. And it causes all sorts of problems, doesn't it? To the point where eventually Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're, they're forced to leave packing from Egypt. Uh, so you get the sense as we read through Genesis 46, Jacob does not want to make the same mistake. He doesn't want to have a rerun of exactly the same thing. And so what does he do? To whom does he turn? Well, we see that Jacob goes and seeks out God. He seeks God as he goes to worship him. That's the first thing I want us to see this evening, the need for worship, the need for worship. He goes to Beersheba, the most southerly edge of the promised land, at a place where Abraham and Isaac, his forefathers, had worshiped God. And there Jacob seeks to do exactly the same thing. He wants to meet with God. Verse one, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Surely for Jacob, this was no easy thing to leave the promised land. There must have been questions in his own mind as to whether he was doing the right thing after all. I mean, hadn't God made some promises? Think about that promise that was made in Genesis 35. God had said to Jacob that he would give the land that he had given to Abraham and to Isaac to him and to his offspring. Well, what would he do with that promise that God had given him? And then there was that word that God had spoken to Abraham back in Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 13. Listen to these words. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And then to hear the words that his son Joseph was still alive and was down in Egypt, what a, what a shock, what a shock. And yet right back in Genesis 37, after Joseph had revealed his dreams to his family, the writer of Genesis, says this, he says, and his brothers were jealous of him. We've been thinking about that lots and lots and lots, haven't we? But what comes after that? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And so you have to wonder, as he sets out on this journey towards Egypt, and although we're going to see that God brings him further reassurance that he's doing the right thing, you have to wonder if those dreams that, that Joseph had repeated the dreams of the, 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 where there's a picture of the, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to Joseph. Surely, surely there's a good chance that these would now have been coming back into his mind from all those years ago, bringing with them surely a sense of hope, recognizing that God is bringing about what he said he would do, that this was actually all part of God's plan. Where should you go when things are all up in the air, when things seem turned upside down, going in the way that you certainly hadn't expected, when life seems to be turned on its head, what should you do? I think we should go to worship. Verse two, and God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand 
shall close your eyes. There's almost an expectation as we read it, isn't there? An expectation that as, as Jacob comes to worship God, that as he comes to offer these sacrifices to God, that he would indeed meet with God in a special way. Because we know that that's a pattern that we see right throughout Scripture, isn't it? A pattern where God's people come to worship God and God speaks to them. Isn't that what happens each Lord's Day? Isn't that our expectation as we gather as God's people? We come with an expectation that we are going to meet with God, that we are going to hear from God. That we're going to hear not just some preacher up at the front, but that we're going to hear God speak himself as the minister faithfully opens up the scriptures. As I think back to many significant decisions that I've made up until this point, many of them happened sitting somewhere like where you're sitting now, in church, listening to God's word being preached, and the weight of God's word being set upon me in such a way that big, weighty decisions were made there and then, under God's word, meeting with God as we come and gather to worship him. And I think that's normal. That's the the normal thing that we should expect as God's people. As we come and gather and, and set ourselves under his word, we should expect God to shape us and change us and direct us. Sometimes when things get tough, we can think that the thing to do is to stop, to stop coming to gather together and worship. Sometimes when things get tough, Reading the Bible is the first thing to go. We think, well, if I get things back in order, then I'll get back to reading the Bible. Then I'll get back to gathering with God's people. Perhaps we try and weigh things up on our own strength and think, okay, I I think this is the direction I should go, or or that's the direction I should go. But we forget about God. We forget about gathering with God's people. We forget about worship. And I think as we look at Jacob... We see him model to us what we should do. We should come to God and worship, and we should listen as God speaks and directs us. So what was it that God said to Jacob? Well, notice first that he calls him by name, doesn't he? Jacob, Jacob. There's no mistaking it. God really does know him individually, doesn't he? And Jacob responds, here I am. And then God reminds him that he's not just the God of Jacob, but the God of his father. The very God who had made the promises to his father and his grandfather, it's the same God. This is a God that he can trust. And then he says to him, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why might God say that to Jacob? Well, I'm assuming it's because there was great fear with going to Egypt. Perhaps it was fear for his family. Yes, they'd get food, but at what cost would it come? The family hadn't exactly been living godly lives in Canaan. They had got up to all sorts of sinful practices. I mean, we could list them now, but you know them because we've looked at them week after week after week. So what would it look like if they were to move to Egypt? Egypt, a place that was renowned for its pagan worship. How would his family ever survive down there? A place where they worshipped every god under the sun. And they even worshipped the sun god Ra. 
And then there was what God had said to Abraham about his offspring being sojourners in the land that was not their own, that they would be servants there and, and afflicted for 400 years. Now, if that was on his mind, would that not be a fearful thing to lead your family into what you know is going to be 400 years of affliction? You can sense why there might have been some fear, can't you? And this was indeed what was going to happen because he was about to lead his family into what was going to be 400 years of affliction. It really doesn't match with health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, does it? Because it really was God's will for his people that they would enter a long period of suffering. But in all of that, God was still going to be at work. God was still going to be at work. There I will make you into a great nation. That is what he says. God is going to do his work. In Egypt, God was going to be at work in continuing to keep his promise to Abraham. The promise of the great nation still stands. God is at work. But not only would God be at work, but God would also be present. Did you spot that? He says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Not only did Jacob have God's promises, but he also has God's presence. Promises and presence. And as God's people today, we have exactly the same thing. We have God's promises. Here they are in black and white in God's word. We have God's promises. But for the believer, we also have God's presence because he promises to be with us. He will never leave us. I was talking to some of you recently about um, some summer mission trips that you've been on. Some of you have been on summer mission trips pretty locally. Some of you have been on summer mission trips pretty far away. And some of them have been to places where there's been very few Christians. And you said that it was pretty bleak spiritually, very small numbers of believers in pretty large towns and cities. And perhaps you, you wonder to yourself, if, if God was to direct me there, how would I survive? Would I make it as a Christian if I was to go somewhere where there was very little support? Well, if God is to lead you there, or somewhere like that, you will go with his promises, and you will go with his presence. And it may well be that God is planting seeds in some of your lives now that, that will lead you to leave here, I'm not wanting you to go, but you might leave here, and God might use you to take the, the gospel across this land and further afield. And if God leads you in that way, you will go with his promises, and you will go with his presence. Well, for Jacob, God was going with him, and that made all the difference, didn't it? He promises to be with him both in the time in Egypt, but also God will bring him up to Canaan once again. Now, as we flick forward in the story, we know that this will take place whenever he's died. And so this is a promise in which we can understand that God is saying that he will be with them not just in life, but also in death. And the death that he's going to have is, is not what he predicted for himself back in chapter 37. No, he will die with Joseph at his side, a peaceful death. 
The second thing I want us to see in this passage tonight is the family provision. From verse 5 through to the end of verse 27, we're given a great big list of all of the family and all of their names. And I'm just going to run through them again quickly now. <laughs> all of the family, and they're taken to Egypt, aren't they? Jacob, his sons, his grandchildren. And there they are. They're all listed for us. Now, although sometimes it's hard to really track it all completely, track all of those names and numbers and try to figure out who, which numbers include which names and who it doesn't include, were they born at the point where it says they were born or were they really being carried in the loins of the... You know, lots of questions there. But really, I think what we can see is actually what is written down, we can trust. We can trust it. If you want to go away and look at it, there's, there's um, lots of really good answers to some of the tricky questions that you might have around it. But what I want us to do this evening is not get bogged down so much in the, the details, but to take a step back, to take a step back and to look at the big picture. And what does the big picture tell us this evening as we look at all of these names? Whenever you come across genealogies, I wonder, do you get excited or does your heart sink? I remember as a younger boy, whenever I would get to those parts, I'd maybe read the first three or four names, and I'd just skip to the bottom and think, well, I have no idea why they're there. <laughs> no idea. And yet, surely, at least one of the things that we can say tonight is that God cares about the individual. Every name is mentioned. God cares about the individual. He knows them by name, and he knows us by name. Maybe you're here, and you're struggling with self-worth. Maybe you're struggling with identity and questions around your identity. Maybe you're struggling with value. Do you have value? Maybe you feel like often you're the one who's lost in the crowd and no one really notices you. And yet, as we read through this, we see that God sees. God sees each of his children. God knows each individual. But notice also that God, in how he works, has a special place for families. Do you see that? a special place for families. We get to the end of this section, and all these names are listed, and it says this, verse 27, all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Now, 70 is a number in the Bible that really uh, speaks of completeness. It speaks of totality. In other words, I think what the writer is saying here is he's wanting to communicate this great sense that all of the family are taken into Egypt, all of the family are in, all of the family are safe. Think of what's happening here. Left in Canaan, the family would die. That's what would happen. It's a matter of life or death. But by coming into Egypt, they have life. They are saved. It's the same kind of language that is used back in Genesis 7 with Noah and his family. They go into the ark, you and all your family, and what will happen? you will be saved. And in Noah's time, God took Noah and his family into the ark and saved them. And here we have Jacob. And God took Jacob and his family into Egypt and he saved them. God and how he works, he works in a special way through families. And that's why we as a church see that the visible church is made up not just of believers, but also believers and their children. All of the persons who came to the house of Jacob, who 
who came to Egypt were 70. Not quite the number of the stars in the sky yet, but we see that this is a family where God is bringing about growth. God is at work. God is keeping his promises, isn't he? And yet, as we think about this story, we realize that it's kind of been slow progress, hasn't it? Slow process. God in his wisdom was in no rush. And maybe, maybe you know something about that this evening. It seems that the things that you long for, the things that you've been praying for, well, God has not brought them forth. And maybe they are good things, uh, not that you've been praying for the wrong things, you've indeed been praying for his kingdom to come, and yet for whatever reason, things seem to be moving very, very slowly. Well, as this entire family enter Egypt, there is 70. There is 70. It's not an insignificant number, and yet it's far from a great nation, isn't it? Far from the, the number of stars that are in the sky. And it's not that God can only act slowly, because as we look on in the story, we will see what will happen is that the nation of Israel will, will expand at great speed whenever they're in Egypt. And who's responsible for that? Is it, is it Pharaoh? Is it the good food? Is it the water in the Nile? No, it's, it's none of those. What does God say? Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make... I will make you into a great nation. That is what God is going to do. So God can work at great fast speed and God can also work at a slow speed. And yet he knows what he's doing. This was God's work. And so can I encourage you this evening not to fret, not to be frustrated at the speed with which God works, but rather to submit yourself to God's plans rather than trying to dictate them yourself. Because you will find that that is a much more contented place, a much more joyful place to be. Finally tonight, I want us to see God's kindly provision. Verse 28, he sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. What kindness. What kindness God shows in letting Jacob be reunited with his son, Joseph. And then look what happens next, verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, you might read this part and you might think, I'm not really sure of the significance. Why is there so much text given over to telling us that these, these guys were farmers? What's the big deal? Why is it so important? 
Why run through and tell us again and again? And uh, why is Joseph so concerned that this is the message that reaches the Pharaoh? It seems that in God's kindness, in God's kindness, although the family of God are being brought to Egypt to be saved, they are still going to be kept distinct. They're still going to be kept distinct, aren't they? They're not going to be brought down into Egypt and then just dispersed among everybody else who's there, among all of the pagans who lived in Egypt, getting them all mixed up with people so that they would marry here and marry there. No, no, no. What's going to happen is because, because they are shepherds, and because that is abomination to the Egyptians, they're going to be kept apart. They're going to be kept in their own little land, and they're going to get to stay together. God's people are going to get to remain dis- distinct. Think of the fear that Jacob surely would have had as he led his, led his family down into Egypt. How is this going to work? Think of how ungodly they'd been. How is it going to work when they get to this land? And yet God in his kindness had prepared a place for them. We see God's kindly provision, don't we? And we see God's kindly provision in that they, they are brought into the land of Egypt and they get to enjoy all of its riches. And they're brought in as a result of the relationship that their brother Joseph has with the king, with Pharaoh. They have done nothing, nothing as a family to deserve being brought into this kingdom. They have done nothing to deserve being provided for. All that they have, they receive because of their brother's relationship, their brother standing before the king, before Pharaoh. And isn't that a picture of us this evening, if you're one of God's people? If you're one of God's people, well then you know that all that you have is because of Jesus. All that you have is because of Jesus. You have been welcomed into God's kingdom because of the relationship that Jesus has with his Father and because of the relationship you have with Jesus. And so we get to experience all of the benefits of the kingdom those that we experience here and now, and those that we will experience when it is brought to its full fruition. And you didn't deserve one last bit, and neither did I. Not a little snippet. The only way that we get to benefit is because of what Jesus has done for us, and because of the relationship that he has with the king, with God, his heavenly Father. We know that for God's people, They were coming into Egypt. There was this great mix of of gifts, but there was also great sufferings that was going to come along with it in the time that they were going to be there. And isn't that also our story? Life is mixed with joys and blessings, with suffering and pain. And yet we know, like Jacob, God is with us. God is with us. He is with us in this life, but he is also with us in death. And we know that one day, we will be brought to the promised land, the new creation to come, the land where there will be no more suffering and pain and death, but rather there will be great feasting and pleasures in the presence of God and his people. Oh, what a joy that will be. And who will be there All 70, all 70, Jesus will welcome all his family, 
all of his brothers and sisters, everyone who is named as one of God's people, they will be there. He will not forget anyone because he knows them by name. And if their names have been written on the book of life, they will be brought into the kingdom. Hallelujah. So hopefully as we've spent some time in Genesis 46 this evening, you will have seen the priority of worship. It's really key, isn't it? We have been reminded once again of God's family provision and also of God's kindness to us. And as we've been reminded once again of God's kindness to us, God's kindness should lead us to repentance and also to praise and to worship for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we are a sinful people. We do not deserve your kindness. And yet, because of your character, you choose to show us kindness. Father, we thank you for saving and rescuing us as your people. Thank you for what Christ has done for us. And thank you that because of our relationship with Christ, we stand before you as forgiven, justified, righteous. Father, thank you for welcoming us into your kingdom. Lord, if there's someone here this evening who has not responded to that call, tonight might they hear the call to come and to follow Jesus, to put their trust in him. Father, we thank you for all of the gifts that you give us. But we recognize that here in this world now, it's mixed with the suffering and pain that comes with living in a fallen world. And yet we know that one day you will bring all your people home. And so that gives us great joy. All seven day, no one will escape. You will get every child home safe. And that gives us great joy. Help us as we continue to worship you, we pray. Amen.